weren't able to be here Friday, Saturday, you have the privilege of listening to Mark Gregson come and talk about how we can better relate with our kids. So without further ado, a fellow Texan, Mark Gregson. <laughs> cool. <clears throat> Thanks. It's been good. It's been good. We really connected because her brother uh, was my son's savior when he went through a nasty divorce years ago. And uh, it was her brother who kind of came alongside my son. And that's how we've eventually met. And Because uh, I don't know any other way that I would have gotten here to New Jersey. <laughs> I called my wife this morning. And I said, a couple of people said we need to move here. And she goes, what? <laughs> you know, but anyway, yeah, I'm anxious to come back. It's kind of a neat place. I live in a part of Texas that is uh, very similar to this, except we have 90-foot pine trees that are everywhere. So I live in East Texas. I live with 60 high school kids that come from all over the country. Kids are struggling, having a tough time, and, and uh, they really come from everywhere. And they are no different than your kids, my kids. There's, something's gone horribly wrong, and uh, it's out of control. And so now through the years, we've had over 3,000 kids live with us, uh, which has been somewhat amazing. Uh, my wife and I dated all through high school. Um, our first date was uh, when this Christian band came through town in Tulsa, Oklahoma, um, Led Zeppelin, and, um, and, uh, and we dated all through high school. We went off to college. I went to the University of Arkansas to swim. Uh, she went to Baylor University, and, and, uh, and I, we ended up coming back to Tulsa after a year. I went to law school, but during that time, uh, somebody came to me and said, would you like to work with a group of kids in Young Life? And we said yes. So at 19, we started leading the Young Life Club. And some man walked up to me and said, I'm struggling with my son. What do I do? <laughs> I don't know. Uh, let him come live with me. And he did. So as a college guy, that's how it all started. And then a year and a half later, Jane and I got married. And, and, uh, and then a man called and said, I'm struggling with my daughter. She happens to live about 30 minutes from now. And, uh, and I, I let her come live with us. And so that's how it started. So through the years, I've just always, uh, we've always had kids live with us. And so we have a facility now that we've built and, and we do that. It, it's interesting as I've gotten a little bit older, it's in, I just turned 64. And so the song by the Beatles, When I'm 64, rings in my head almost every morning. Uh, and uh, so the four of you that just laugh know what I'm talking about. And so I'm, so I'm pretty much aged myself, you know. And, and, uh, but you learn after a while, after living with so many kids, dealing with so many parents, you know, all that stuff. And I spend about 200 nights a, a year traveling across the country and speaking and doing stuff and writing and all that junk. I never wanted to do any of that stuff. And it's just been interesting that it all started with just starting to engage. I can tell you, just let me speak to the, to the youth guy that's here, Mike, that, that uh, I've got to say this, that he is far better than I was when I was his age. And so when you think about investing in youth ministry here and, and the wonderful opportunities they have, he can go a lot further than I've ever gone just because of the quality guy. Matter of fact, I've found that with all your staff. Uh, if I lived in New Jersey, I would go to this church, and I would travel from anywhere here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They'd kick me out in about a week, I think. And, and uh, but you know, I, but it'd be but it'd be a great week, you know, and, and uh, we'd have a lot of fun. When I was uh, in my twenties, there was a book that was written called "I'm Okay, You're Okay." Uh, when I was in my thirties, I wanted to write a book called uh, "I'm Okay, You're Not," and. Uh, and then when I was in my 40s, um, I wanted to write a book called I'm Not Okay and Neither Are You. And that was after my wife and I started going through counseling uh, because she was screwed up. And, uh, and, so, and then when I turned 50, I wanted to write a book called I'm Not Okay and I Don't Care Anymore. You know, I mean, it's like, like somebody goes, uh, nobody else is wearing boots like that. I go, I don't care. You know, somebody said, you wear jeans all the time. I don't care. I got a letter a couple of weeks ago and it said, Dear Mark, please send us back our mustache. Signed, 1880. You know, I'm going, I don't care. My wife says, you still do your hair like the 70s. I don't care, you know. And so, the, and so now that I've turned 60, I want to write a book called 
tasering kids God's way. I just think, I think it has a ring to it. Somebody suggested to me, Mark, and, and they said, try this one on. It was really Bill Gaither who said, this, that would be a great title about brokenness, about just life and going through difficulties in life and hardships. And, and so let me try it out on you, see if it works or not. But the title would be, just because your butt has a crack in it doesn't mean you're broken. Okay, maybe under a different name. And, uh, but if you were in an airport, you would pick that book up in a heartbeat. I know that you would. You know, I've learned this through the years that, that the most important thing, truly the most important thing, I worked with Young Life as an area director. I worked in a church for seven years. I was at a Christian sports camp that had 25,000 kids pass through every summer. Uh, I worked at another facility that we started. I got fired. And so we ended up starting Heartlight 30 years ago. And so if you add all that up, I'm about 90 years old. And, and, uh, but I've been around the block enough in churches and in situations and all that to, to realize when you all boil it down, as I get a little bit older and turn colors, that one of the most important things has to do with relationships. And if relationships are good, then it builds a good community. And if you have a good community, then you grow more and more and more. You and I have the opportunity to experience relationships at a level that is just so different, so different than the way that kids experience relationships today. There is something about our relationships with one another where we get value and we get worth and we see ourselves through somebody else's eyes and we, we get to understand more about ourselves. And we, I mean, it just fills that void in our life of connecting with people. And because God is connected with me, now I can connect with people because I can love in ways. Because given love by myself, I would hate you all <laughs> because I don't agree with all of you. There's things that bother me about some of you. Yeah, not really, except your pastor. And uh, no, no, not really. But there's always those things. And I go, but God teaches me and shows me how to love differently. And because rooted in God's love, then what that does is create the opportunity for community. That's why I would come to this church. You can get teaching anywhere. You can hear great music anywhere. There's seats like this everywhere. You know, it's, it, it, there's other places that it doesn't snow. But I mean, <laughs> you'll never find community like this. And that's to be applauded at this place. It's absolutely wonderful. In that, I want to read a scripture to you that I think is important. I, you know, that, that it's probably one of the most important scriptures for me because as I as I kind of go into the, the grayer stages of my life. You know, Scripture says that the glory of old men is gray hair. I've earned every one of them, and I love it. I love it. Somebody says, you need to dye that. And I go, shut up, because uh, I've earned it. But there's a Scripture in First Thessalonians that says this. It says, but we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. And this is the key part. And having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to not only share with you the gospel, but our own lives as well, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall our labor and hardship, how working night and day to not be a burden to any of you, we pro proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are our witnesses, and so is God. How devoutly and uprightly, this is the qualities that I hope we all have, Devoutly, uprightly, and blamelessly, we behave towards you. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring, each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you may walk in a manner that is worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. There's something about relationship. There's truly something about relationship with one another that becomes key. You know, let me tell you this. If you have a discipline problem with your child at home, you have a relationship problem when you boil it down. And so I want to divide this up a little bit. Do we have anybody that has preteens that it's here? Okay, so a few of you. There was only one person in the first service. And so uh, my encouragement was for that group to go and multiply. And, uh, and, and get a few more. But I would tell you this, as a, just, just so that you know this, as a, as a parent of a preteen, I'm going to tell you that what you need to be doing is pouring your life. So remember the word pour, pour, not P-O-O-R. That happens in high school. But I mean, it's P-O-U-R, pour your life. And what that means is that during the early stages of their life, 
You're going to be pleasing them and you're going to be providing for them and you're going to be protecting them. And then when they make that transition into adolescence, let me encourage you to do this because this is one of the greatest faults that I see that parents make. They don't transition to start preparing them for the world that they're going to live in. You can either raise your kids to live in a zoo or you can train them how to survive in the jungle. And I think your kids want the latter more than anything else. So I tell people all the time that, 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 that you've got to make that transition. Because we get this idea in the early stages of our parenting that we're doing a really good job. And you want to know what? You are. I mean, your kids give you a coffee mug and say, world's greatest mom, world's greatest dad. And you go, oh, this is so good. I'll just keep parenting the same way. But you've got to move from a teaching model to a training model which means you just engage differently to prepare your child for the world that they are going to live in. Not the world you want them to live in, but the world they're going to live in. So to, to all of you who have preteens, I would tell you poor, P-O-U-R. The second thing I would tell to anybody that has teen parents, does anybody here have teen parents? Does anybody, do any, Does anybody here have, are you a parent of teens? Raise your hand. Okay. This is easy for you guys. And, and I, your teens want this. They live in a world that is full of information. You know why? Because of this. Hey, Siri. How many people died in the Civil War? There were 1,691,851 casualties during the American Civil War, with 828,193 from the United States of America and 863,658 from the Confederate States of America. If all you do is share information, I don't need you anymore. Because I have this. This gives me all the information I could ever want. I really don't need information. And sometimes when we just keep pouring out information and information and information, your kids will shut you down in a heartbeat. Just like me turning off Fox News. When it's just, yeah, yep, 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 yep. Does anybody here work for Fox? Yeah, yep, 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 dripping faucet and turns you off. And what happens when they turn you off, then your kids will never hear the wisdom that you have to share with them. And they are dying, literally and figuratively, to hear the wisdom that you have learned. Wisdom is gained through observation, through reflection, that which you think about, and experience. That which I see, that which I think about, and that which I experience. And so those need to be the things that you are sitting back saying, how do I share more wisdom and quit sharing so much information? Text your kids. Do I share wisdom or information? The second thing would be this. Create a place of rest at your home. Jesus said, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden, and you will find rest for your soul. Is your home a place of rest? Text your kids. Is our home a place of rest? Start the conversation. And if they go, you know, it's not. Whenever I'm at home, I want to smoke more pot. <laughs> Whenever I'm at home, I want to hide. I'd rather be on a phone than... So you've got to be asking the question. Jesus said, if we're to be like Christ, it's saying when you come to me, you can find rest. And the other thing I would tell you this is that Listen, and that would be the word that I would give you parents of teens. Learn to listen. Chuck Swindoll and I have done some parenting conferences, or parenting programs together, and, and, and he said if parents would just learn to listen, they could solve 90% of the problems that they're going to face. It's learning to listen. How many of you guys are grandparents? those who aren't, you're going to love it when you become a grandparent. Uh, grandkids are a reward for not killing your own kids. It really is. My daughter comes to me all the time and says, Dad, it's almost like you like them more than us. And she goes, no, I'm serious. 
she goes, you like, you, you do things with them. I said, well, I like being with them. I don't like being with you guys. You know, it's just, it's just normal. There's something about grandparent that's pretty cool. But you know what? Your teen grandkids don't need another parent. They need a grandparent. They don't need another parent. So quit trying to correct them all the time. The kids come to my, my grandkids come to my home. I don't correct them. I don't tell them what they're wearing that's wrong. I don't tell them what they're doing wrong. They can park anywhere they want. They can, they can mess up things. That's not my role. My role is to provide a place of rest, to, to encourage them, to share wisdom and stories, to pass on a legacy. And a legacy is not what you leave in their bank account, but it's what you deposit in their hearts that becomes so key. Let me tell a story that I told. This is the only time I'm going to repeat the story. But I, I, I'm one of those guys that goes to concerts. And, and uh, <coughs> excuse me, I love sitting on the front row. I, I just, I'm going to sit up front. I've earned it. As a matter of fact, I deserve it. I think that they ought to, that the older you get, they ought to put, put you up front because you've earned it because you've been to so many concerts throughout your life. And so I've just gotten used to sitting on the front row. My daughter buys tickets because my granddaughters uh, want to go see Taylor Swift, T-Swizzle. And so we're going to go see Taylor. I met her when she was 14, and, and, uh, and I thought, well, you know, maybe we can just make a connection. And, and, so, and, and so my daughter buys the tickets, and we're walking to this arena in Shreveport, Louisiana. I live 40 miles from there in Longview, Texas. And, and, uh, and we were walking into the arena, and, and we're walking to the very back of the arena. I mean, the very back. I mean, we were walking upstairs to the very back. Well, matter of fact, when the concert started, we were so far in the back, and I was complaining the whole time. This is miserable. What are we doing back here? I mean, there, could there be anything worse in the world right now than sitting on the back row? I mean, every time I did this, my head would hit concrete. See what it did? Just wore it out. And we get there, and I'm standing there, and, and, and we're just looking, and, I, and my granddaughter goes, Papa, these are the best seats in the whole house. Well, Macy, why would you say that? She goes, because you can see everything from here, the back of everyone's head. You know, you can see the electrical, the plumbing, you can see everything. And we're in the very back. I mean, when Taylor Swift came out, she was about that big. She was a little, looked like a little ant playing a guitar. I mean, it's just, and I was just going, this is, this is awful. This is miserable. This is, you got to be kidding me. Do I exaggerate? Maybe a little bit. And then after 45 minutes, all of a sudden, I'm standing there, and Taylor Swift is standing right next to me. She'd come to the very back of the arena to sing a couple of songs. I was so close that the, she, had a, she had rewired her guitar, put new strings on it. One of the strings was sticking out that it poked me. And so I, I backed up, and I let my grandkids get there with their two friends. They're all dressed up with like Taylor, as were the 19,000 other little girls that were there. I was the only male there, I think, you know, and, and, and so I was getting in touch with my feminine side. And so, so, I, I, so I'm sitting there taking, at the very end of it, Taylor, I go, Taylor, just, and she goes like this, you know, with my grandkids there, and I get this shot of them up on stage, and I come back, and I'm going, that's so cool. And my granddaughter looks at me and goes, see, Papa, I told you these were the best seats. You know what that is? Perspective. As a grandparent, your role is to give perspective. Not the only role. A perspective of what's going on in this world and what's happening. A perspective that says we're going to be okay. Not, nothing that's happened in the last 15 years or 10 years is as worse as it was in the 60s. I mean, just think about it for a moment. There's a part of it that I look at it and I go, it, it, we're supposed to give perspective on life because it ushers in hope. So your word would be perspective. Preteens, it's poor, poor your life. To parents of teens, listen. It'd be perspective for grandparents. And to all you young people that are here, it's interesting that I was jotting down some things and, and I go, I just want you to know that, 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 uh, True relationships go a lot deeper than, than those relationships you form on social networking sites. I think that's the one place where kids have been deceived to think that, that relationships are what they are 
when they're not. Kids feel like I've got, you know, thousands of friends following me. They don't have any friends. They get this idea. I think most of our kids spend most of their life in the shallow end of the relationship pool. And so I always say depth isn't created by sharing information and more pictures. It's through conversation and spending time without a smartphone. To every young person here, I would tell you this, that God has created you for more, far more, than technology would lead you to believe. And you don't know it. You don't know it. So my hope, when we talk about relationships, which I think is so key, even in your community, young people that you're involved in, that you would pour your life into relationships and not be so consumed by your phone that can just swallow you up in a heartbeat. You you can't get away from suicide rates that are increasing, from people cutting, from, from the anxiety, from people smoking pot, drinking, and everything else to deal with a world that is absent and void of relationships. Because relationships becomes that place that is a pressure release for the intensity of life in a culture that you live in that's tough, that's hard, that every adult in here has said, I'm glad I don't have to be raised in this culture. Okay, so to you guys, I would say, pursue relationship. And the fifth thing I would say to everybody, lighten up. Just lighten up. You're too intense. You don't smile enough. When's the last time you had a good belly laugh? We sat at dinner last night laughing like crazy. Laughter is another form of worship. I mean, we had a blast. It's just sitting around, just laughing, enjoying the presence of people. And I would say that the measure of healthiness in most of our lives is the amount of time we spend laughing. Laughter does good for the soul. There's a story that that has always been funny to me. We have been trying to get our, we were trying to get our radio program on on as many stations as possible. We're heard on about 2,500 stations now, and uh, Christian stations and country stations. But we wanted to to be involved with one particular radio station, Moody Radio. Have y'all ever heard of Moody? Anybody here related to anybody from Moody? You are? You what? Oh, well, that's okay. Does he go back and visit occasionally? Okay, just don't tell him the story. And, uh, and so Moody is a very conservative, is a very conservative place. And, and uh, if they had a sound that would depict uh, them, it would be... You know what I mean? Just, they're just like that. So our producer goes to them and says, hey, we'd like for you to test Mark out to see if you want to put him on your program roster. And, and, uh, and they said, well, sure, let's do this. Let's have him come in and do a morning drive time show where for, from 6 till 7 o'clock, he'll be talking to a million people. And 7 o'clock, then he'll start answering questions and we'll take questions from those people that call in. And so... So we gathered all the people on Tuesday morning, and, and they all lined up, and, and all the producers from L.A. that came and that produced our program were there on the other side of the glass just drinking their coffee. All the people from, from Moody Radio were there, from the president to everybody. They were on the other side, and they're just going to test this guy out with a 1880s mustache and jeans, and nobody looks like me on the radio. And, and, uh, but they thought, surely it's radio, because I, I have a face made for radio. And, and, uh, and so, so, they, so we're testing this thing out. Okay, so we get through the first hour, and it, and it goes really well. Okay, what you have to know is that the day beforehand, there was a news article that came out about a man who used to be the president of the National Association of Evangelicals, that he was 100% heterosexual. And the reason this, this came out, this report came out on SRN News, on the fourth page of the Wall Street Journal, on the third page of of USA Today, and all across Christian radio, even Fox and, and all of them picked it up, that this guy was 100% heterosexual because he was he used to be a pastor of a church that he would preach continually anti 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 homosexual and just be so verbal about it it was kind of crazy but it was just intense intense but the problem was he was having a homosexual relationship with somebody that lived a distance away 
And so that person ratted him out. He lost the church. He lost his position. He almost lost his family, all that other stuff. So the so leaders around him came and said, look, 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 this is what you need to do. You need to go through counseling. You need to restore. You need to renew. You need to do all these things to get back in a position and resolve these things. And he did. He did all the things that were required of him by a number of people. Amazing. Just absolutely amazing. So his counselor came out and said, because everybody knew who he was, came out and said, this guy is 100% heterosexual. Are you following me? Okay. So the next morning, we just finished our hour. Now we're about ready to take our first question. And they go, Mark, (laughs) there's a lady named Stephanie, and she's got a question for you. And I go, okay, hey, Stephanie, how are you? Um... Tell me what your question is. She goes, well, I got a question, you know, and, and, uh, and she said, uh, are you 100% heterosexual? <laughs> All the people on the other side of the glass, they had a cup of coffee and they just went, <laughs> well, and, uh, and so it was about like that. And so I said, um, you know, Stephanie, I don't think so. I mean, the eyes on the other side of the glass got this big. Birds quit chirping in downtown Chicago. Planes hung in midair. It was completely silent. Our our producer on the other side of the glass in slow motion went, oh, no, and he just put his head down. And I said, you know, Stephanie, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think I'm 95% heterosexual. I think I'm 3% metrosexual because I wear Tommy Bahama shirts occasionally. And I'm 2% homosexual because I'd kiss Keith Urban if I had the opportunity to. <laughs> and I thought it was funny. I mean, I was just going, I just knocked it out of the park. I was just going, yes, yes. And the next thing you heard was this. And the weather in Chicago is. And they cut me immediately. And they went off to the weather. And the guy's going, well, it's a little stormy now in Chicago. And all of a sudden, the president of Moody Radio is, is just knocking on the, just knocking on the glass. Going, you can't say that. You can't say that. You're on live radio. <coughs> Everything got kind of quiet. And I just raised my arms and, and stood up and I said, guys, let me tell you something. Let me tell you something. If you don't lighten up, you'll never be able to talk about the hard subjects that kids and parents need to talk about. You've got to lighten up. And I just said, well, Mark, we've got the next question. <laughs> We're now their number three program, and so it's changed a little bit. Now, let me tell you the other part of the story of this is that three years ago, we were recording in uh, Leaper's Fork, which is a little town outside of Franklin, Tennessee, which is south of Nashville, uh, at a studio that is owned by Michael Card, a friend of ours, that he said, come and record here. So we went to Card's place, and so we took a break at noon, and we went to, we went to this little tiny sandwich shop, really no bigger than this, just a little tiny sandwich shop, and the four of us are sitting off in the corner just eating a sandwich. And guess who walks in? Keith Urban. <laughs> so one of our guys goes... Um, well, Mark, there you go, you know, and, and so I, I, I stood up and went over to Keith and Nicole and said, hey, Keith, Keith, Mark. hey, I'm Mark Gregston and, and uh, 95% and, and uh, I said 3% and 2% that I'd kiss you if I had the opportunity. He just looks at me and goes, well, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> he didn't think it was funny either, but there's something about laughter that is so key. Because it expresses relationships. It expresses that we know who we are in Christ himself so we can be who we are with the people that are around us and lighten up a little bit. So to all you people that have preteens, pour your life into your kids. To all of you all have teens, listen and listen more. To all of you who are grandparents, God bless you guys. You have the opportunity to leave a legacy, a legacy of hope for your grandkids. Give perspective. To all you young people that are here, realize that that I think a goal for each one of you ought to be to pursue relationships to a different level. 
And to everybody else, lighten up. Your presence, your presence in the life of your kids is the greatest gift that you can ever give to your kiddos and to your grandkids. Come on up, John. I can't, uh, can't tell you how many times this weekend I was just like your producer going, oh, <laughs> mama. So, uh, hey, here's what we're going to do. Uh, I'm going to interview Mark and ask him some questions, uh, and hopefully he won't get me fired over the next 15 minutes, and then we'll be good. Um, you know, so much of what he said over the last couple of days, and I hope many of you were here, um, just resonated with me because the reality is I live in the real world with you, and our kids are not all right, and, and we're scared. And so uh, he's been talking about relationship all weekend and, and how that's so key to trying to parent today. A couple weeks ago, um, a friend of mine who's got a struggling kid turned me on to a um, piece that 60 Minutes had done called Screen Time. Anybody see this? If you haven't seen it, you should go home and watch it. It's that good. Um, and I have four kids. And the reason I invited Mark was that in my own home, I've watched the culture impact my younger two kids. Something is up that didn't affect my older two kids, but is impacting my younger two kids. And uh, I thought Mark might be able to help me with that and help us with it. And then I watched this 60-minute piece, and uh, it helped me get a little sense for what's going on out there. This is about four minutes long. Check this out. <laughs> Teenagers now spend, on average, four and a half hours a day on their phones. All that time has resulted in a fundamental shift in how a generation of American kids acts and thinks. When smartphones went from being something only a few people had to something the majority of people had, it had this really big effect on how teens related to each other. Jean Twenge is a psychology professor at San Diego State University. She spent five years combing through four large national surveys of 11 million young people since the 1960s. She discovered sudden changes in the behavior and mental health of teens born in 1995 and later a generation that she calls iGen. They're the first generation to spend their entire adolescence with smartphones. So a lot of them can't remember a time before smartphones existed. There have been generational shifts before in the past, haven't there? Certainly. Um, this one's much more sudden and pronounced than most of the others. The iPhone was introduced in 2007. Smartphones gained widespread usage among young people by 2012. Jean Twenge says she was startled to find that in the four years that followed, the percentage of teens who reported drinking or having sex fell. But the percentage who said they were lonely or depressed spiked. It's possible other factors may have played a role, but Twenge says she wasn't able to identify any that correlated as closely as the growing popularity of the smartphone and social media. It's not just the loneliness and depression from these surveys. It's also that um, ER visits for self-harm, like cutting, have tripled among girls aged 10 to 14. What are teens doing on their phones that, that could be connected to depression? It could be anything. There's, there's kind of two different schools of thought on this, that it's the specific things that teens are doing on their phones that's the problem, or it could be just the sheer amount of time that they're spending on their phones that's the problem. Finding definitive answers about social media's influence on mental health can be a frustrating exercise. 81% of teens in a new national survey by the Pew Research Center said they feel more connected to their friends and associated social media use with feeling included. But in a month-long experiment at the University of Pennsylvania, college students who limited themselves to just 30 minutes a day on Facebook, Instagram, and Snapchat reported significant decreases in loneliness and depression. Does that resonate with anyone? Um, so I have four kids. Uh, my oldest was born in 1992. Um, then my next son, John, was born in 1994. Then Caleb was born in 97, and Caroline was born in um, 2002. And something has happened. They, they put the date on it. Something happened in 1995 where our children are now growing up in a world that is somehow being deeply impacted by carrying around a smartphone. This isn't about phones, we'll talk about that. The, the, the mm. issue isn't phones. The issue is, is something deeper. But I, 
I pastor a fairly large church. I know what's happening to our kids. I know about their anxiety and their depression and their suicide attempts. I know about their drug use. And, uh, you know, look, here at Menem, we try to keep it pretty real. And uh, this is a real problem. And so um, the reason I think that we had a few hundred people here all weekend trying to learn from a guy that's raised 3,000 kids Hmm. who has seen 39 of them kill themselves is because we're scared to death. I don't want to lose my kids. So help us. What what do we do? Well, it's very real. And I I think the first thing is that you understand that that it is kind of crazy. And it's got to be to a point you don't want... You don't want the suicide of a family to wake everybody else up. Oh, we got to start doing something. You got to start doing something now. You know, I think there's another component to it is that the amount of time that we spend looking, because I think it's more like 10 hours a day that, that kids look at phones uh, or a screen of some sort, whether that be movies or Netflix or Huku or Waku or whatever it is, and you know, all the other stuff. I mean, 10 hours a day, that's 10 hours. It's an opportunity cost. You know, if I, if I invest my time there, then I miss out on where I could invest my time other places. And so the opportunity cost of that, which is kind of normal because kids are curious, they want to see things. I mean, it's not like there's, like we were sitting at home looking for, you know, looking through an encyclopedia trying to find things. It's entertaining for them in a culture that's kind of messed up, but there's a part of it that it takes them out of the realm of learning how to develop relationships, which is what who God is all about, what we should be all about during the adolescent years, and even before, is to give our kids a taste of the character of God, which is a relationship. As God parents me, I want to parent my kids. And, and, and it's interesting to me that, that, that we've let this thing kind of consume us, and so we've all become like pioneer parents trying to figure it out. But one of the problems is we're just as consumed with the stupid things as, as, uh, as our kids are. I mean, because I'm on my phone 10 hours a day. I see people all over the country. They're always on their phone. In other countries, they're always on their phone. And I go, somewhere there's got to be some boundaries that you say, okay, we just got to, we've got to stop a little bit. We've got to quit doing some things so we provide for something that's more important. We're pursuing something that we think is, is valuable, but it's really not. And so there's other things that are a lot more important. You started today with something I think kind of was the, the theme of the weekend, which is with your teens, it's all about relationship. If you have a discipline problem with your kid, you don't have a discipline problem. You have a relationship problem. Yeah. Now, a lot of us are not good at relationships. It's not natural. I, I, you know, it, um, we didn't witness it well. Most of us who had fathers that came from the generation before us, most of our fathers weren't telling us at 14, I, I love you, you know. And so we struggle with it. How do we... How, so many things you said from zero to 12, I was the best dad ever. Like I was crushing it. Literally, if you go to my office, I have like this picture of Caleb with my arm around him and he, he made it for me. It says best dad ever. Joan probably bought it as you told me yesterday, yeah, right? Yeah. But, um, <laughs> yeah, yeah. So from zero to 12, I thought I was like crushing it, right? And then something happens where suddenly the relationship changed and I wasn't prepared for it. I didn't know how to parent. I was really good zero to 12, but I didn't know how to do 12 to 18. What do I gotta, what do we gotta do better so that, so that, the, so that their relationships don't become this shallow and they wind up depressed, lonely, and anxious? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, a couple of things. I mean, who wants a childish relationship? I mean, anybody that turns 12 or 13, they don't wanna be treated like a child. They want to be treated like an adult, and, and so the goal's got to be, let's start moving toward that and doing that. But I think the other piece of the puzzle is, is that we've got to make sure that we remain relevant. And I think what happens is a lot of the stuff that we teach our kids, how we continue to be relevant is we just don't tell them Bible stories and Mother Goose rhymes because they don't know how to separate. And but we've got to be relevant to show them the practical application. Well, there is no practical application of Mother Goose, mm. but there is of Scripture. And our relevancy means that they still need us, that we still need to be approachable, that, we, that, that the welcome mat 
that, that, that ought to always be there. Just as Jesus knocks on our door, we ought to be always knocking on their door. Always being, I want to be involved. But the tendency of what happens is, as you see kids get older and older, other people start invading their life. They, somebody else coaches their team. Somebody else is doing soccer. Somebody else is traveling with them. Somebody else, and parents get moved up further and further out, especially grandparents. If grandparents don't remain relevant, they'll be kicked out of the whole social circle. And the only thing that your grandkids are going to be talking about you is things that you did from 1 to 12 years old. I mean, it's, it's remaining relevant and engaged, that I have a purpose and a need. If I'm just always correcting my child and telling them what they're doing wrong and how they need to do it different, that is, then for me, I'm spending all my time doing that rather than saying, maybe I need to cut that in half a little bit and then spend more time engaging in relational activities. Let's go get something to drink, coffee. Let's go, let's go get ice cream. Let's go spend some time together. Let's go find an activity that we can do together. Let's watch movies together. Let's play video games together. But there's got to be some point until a child has the internal boundaries to shut it off, there's got to be external boundaries, meaning that we may have a couple of days at home that are no tech days. We turn it all off. You know, I've done a thing at my home when my grandkids have come over and brought some of their friends. And it, let's say it's a rainy night. I've gone out and turned the electricity off to my home. And we create a fire and we sit around and we talk and it's by candlelight. And those kids have said this has been wonderful because we turn off the world so we can spend some time together. You know, or take advantage and, and, and use tech to, to be an advantage to me, to teach them how to engage differently, how to have relationships differently. But we're going to have to make the effort because oh, it's, it's not it's natural a, for me It's to all do on that, us. Right? If it, it, I mean, you have a teacher and, and a child in a class, and if the, if, the, if the child in the class isn't learning, it's not the child's problem, it's the teacher's problem. They're not teaching them well. They, don't, they haven't connected. Because the, the zero, to, zero to 12 didn't take a lot of effort or thought on my part. No, because they were like, oh, daddy, you're such a stud. You're crushing it. You know, I mean, like, you know, all that stuff. Did you do that every day? You just, you know, go, oh, dad, you're such. And then you, they get to be 12 or 13 and it's pretty much, you know, it just changes. Well, if that changes, it's changing because their world has been expanded. And now they're facing imperfection and they're hurt and difficulty and struggle and hardship. And if we carry on that mindset, oh, we're so, everything's so perfect, then we'll lose them. Because nobody likes hanging out with perfect people. And I know you are. Uh, I'm close. <laughs> All right, three quick ones. Um, you, with, with seeing, seeing 3,000 parents' kids, if, if, if you were going to say there was a commonality across the 3,000, Give me one common thing that parents, you know, that you go, yeah, parents, screw this up. You know, this is something that's common. It's an issue in most of the kids that are struggling. What's one thing that parents are doing that they've got to stop or maybe aren't doing that they need to do? Yeah, they need to add a couple more tools to their parenting toolbox. And that may be different than what I said at the earlier service because I can't even remember what I said at the earlier service. But you're better but I than go, second service. We won't let first service Okay, done. okay. But there's, there's something about that. You've got to do something different. If, I mean, it's, it, it's just got to be different. And it, and it means that I've added some more tools to a toolbox to face the, the challenges that my child is facing. And I've got to be relevant to them. It, it can't be that I'm molding in you into what I want. I want to help mold you into what God wants for you. And it's helping figure that out and move toward them and do that. But I can't do that. And we, we talk about this. This is 1 through 12. This is 13 through 19. I've got to say, okay, these tools work then. It's like having a, a standard set of tools working on a car, and now everything went metric. If I keep using the standard set of tools, I'm going to ruin this car. Right. And so it's the same way. I've got to get some new tools because I'm facing new challenges. And so it's, it's an openness that there's got to be some change. Give me one thing the best parents do. They relinquish control, help a child move to independence, and they quit sharing information and start using the wisdom that God's given them to give their child direction. If you were going to speak to high schoolers in the room, one thing they should know about their parents. They love you dearly. They love you dearly. And your parents are wrestling with this way of how to get over that chasm 
that, 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 and, and the fear is that we're losing you. Mm. The fear is going to be a disconnected. Your parents love you dearly. Now, I know this, that every young person here wants to have a relationship with their parents. I've never met a kid that said, I really don't want to have a relationship with my parents. Mm-hmm. Every kid I've talked to, they want to have a relationship with their parents. And so it's, it's, it, there's two people that are longing for something really good, but, but old styles aren't going to get it. it. You can't put new wine into old wineskins. Mm-hmm. You, you, you've got to change up the way you do it, and that's where you start in having conversations. Text your kids. Hey, do you think we create a home of rest? Do we relate to you? Do you think that you want to have a relationship with us? Do you know how much I love you? Mm-hmm. Those are important questions. Yeah. And, and every young person here, if, if you're over the age of 12, you ought to be able to answer those questions. And if not, you need to grow up because it's time to grow up. Mm. You live in a world that's dangerous and hard. And it doesn't, that's not a cut. That's an encouragement that it's okay to, to, to be curious and all those things. But there's something about taking the ball and running with it and saying, I want to become independent. I want to be responsible. I don't want to be controlled by all these different things. That's not how God's created you. You know, you're not to be controlled by your past. You're not to be controlled by chemicals. You're not to be controlled by alcohol. Yeah, all that stuff. It's, it's balancing out, but I think it, 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 there's something about being responsible and, and because you've been given a lot. And Scripture says, to him who much is given, much is required. And your parents want you to grow up. They don't want to be a policeman anymore. They want you to, to mature. They want you to become independent. They don't want you to be some 25-year-old clown on a couch playing video games the rest of your life, you know, because that'll take you nowhere. Last question, we, we talked about first service and it was really helpful for me, is as, you know, I'm a reverend now, I don't know if anybody knows that, but uh, uh, I've given my life to the cause of Christ, I believe Jesus is exactly who he, he said he was, he's the way, the truth, he's the life, he, you know, he, he, and the truth means a lot, when Jesus says there's a lot there, right, and uh, I guess I was really good, like Caleb's here, but Caleb, he's always the guinea pig, but um, like when Caleb was a little boy, we have pictures of him wearing his Bible man superhero outfit, right? Because we were Christians. We didn't do that whole Marvel thing. We had Bible man in our house. And, uh, and poor Caleb, we sent him out to his friends in Bible man. And anyway, um, so. Here, wait, wait. Take your shirt off and flex for us, okay? <laughs> I mean, just stand up and yeah. yeah. You don't want to mess with him. That's another story too. <laughs> anyway, so I was, I was really good I was a really good Christian parent from 0 to 12, too. But it was harder from 12 to 18. Mm-hmm. And so now, you're a, you're a faith-based ministry. Yeah. And so, how do, you, how do you make Christ real? How does it become true and not something that your mommy and daddy told you and gets lumped in with fairy tales? Yeah, yeah, yeah. How does it become something that your kids root deeply into and, and, and come to know Christ and makes a transformation in their life? How do I help? How do we help our teens do that? Yeah. It's, what, it, it's who you are. It's not what you do. It's now not your words. It's your actions. Follow me as I follow Christ. You know, that, that, that it's, it, it's, uh, it's saying you can see in me what God has done. So it means you've got to spend time together. You've got to share some things. You've got to help them see you, but you, you can't be disconnected from them. So you've got to be engaging in some way. I tell people all the time, quit playing golf all the time and quit doing whatever your hobbies are. I've got a million hobbies. You know, I, there's times that I'd rather spend time with horses than I would kids. There's times I'd rather be skiing than water skiing than then, you know, hang out with kids, you know, but there's a part of me, I've, I've got to give some of that up during the adolescent years, you know, because they need that. They need that example before them. The examples that they have before them, now I go, look at that. That's a mess. Mm. And so it's got to be us. It's got to be us as parents and as grandparents and as family, as a community, that they see that in other people, the difference that it's made, not only in word, but indeed as well. The way that we engage, the way we love, the way we treat people, the way we forgive, the way we offer grace, the way we touch somebody's heart, the way we go after those that are lost. 
like a sheep or a coin. Don't go after the sheep. They're stupid. And, uh, but there is something about it's how I live. It's not what I say anymore. Because the words, they, they've, got, they've got all the words they want right here. They need examples. So I guess I would say to you guys that are parents out there, you know, we talk about discipleship at Mendham, and I encourage you to get into small groups, and I encourage you to be transformed in the image of Jesus, that that's his goal. But I have to tell you, and Mark helps, helped me show me this, if you won't do it for your sake, do it for your kid's sake, mm-hmm. because you can't keep telling them about Jesus, but not living like him, not forgiving like him, not loving like him. Not allowing free will to express itself like him. Yeah. We have to be so rooted in Jesus that our kids look at us and go, look, if I sit home with my, my, my late teens and early 20-year-olds 20, 20 and just keep quoting scripture to them, you know, they don't hear it. Because they look at me and they go, dude, that's, all, that's great. You don't live like that. As a church, if we want to reach our kids, if we want our kids to cling to the things of God, we're going to have to become a little bit more like him. We're going to have to start looking a little bit look like, more like our dad. So, cool. final thought. Uh, this has been wonderful. I mean, it, it, it truly is. You've got a group of people here that, are, um, that really long for that. Some people don't care. Some people go, oh, that's neat. Yeah, we laughed. That was fun. But I could tell that this is a group that really cares about it. And I can tell that you're under a lot of pressure. I mean, you, you're just under a lot of pressure. The anxiousness among kids, the anxiety level, depression level, suicide level, cutting, is pretty high here. And you can always find that where academics is high, sports is high, and, and it's because the world's changed. And so we've got to provide some relief from that by creating homes that are places of rest mm-hmm. where a child can go, I enjoy being here. Mm-hmm. That's what I would say. This has been wonderful to be here. Thanks, brother. Hope to come yeah. back. Ha, 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 ha.